96.5 KPEL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. And I want to kick off the day today with the story you've been hearing about all day. It is the big national story. If you were supposed to be traveling today and your plans got canceled, I do apologize. If you happen to be at the at an airport listening either uh, listening through the app, I apologize for you having been stuck there at any point during the day today. But yes, the FAA grounding flights across the country, the entire country, every flight was uh, suspended. If you were in the air, you were allowed to land. But other than that, you could not take off on any new flights. So what happened? Well, first of all, one of the things that got reported, and it's a little bit of misinformation because it's it's latching on to a culture war thing, but it's, it's not actually the case. The system that malfunctioned was the notice to air missions system in uh, NOTAM. The problem is uh, a lot of people took note of the fact that, oh, well, the woke Biden administration changed what NOTAM meant to notice to air missions from notice to air men. They wanted to use more inclusive, less gendered phrasing. Well, It's not necessarily the woke thing, and that's also not what caused the issue today. The system was renamed in December of 2021, and it does not appear as of right now that that had much of an impact on the system itself. Again, the change was more than a year ago. But the NOTAM system did have a malfunction. They're still trying to figure out why. And I have a little bit of a different take on it. I'm not... I'm not an aviation expert. I know there are some people who are pilots who are listening, and you can call in and you can uh, kind of give some background information if you want to as well. Uh, you can also send, if you don't want to call in, you can send a message to the show through the KPL app chat. Uh, if you have the KPL app, just hit the little text button, uh, hit general message, and you'll be able to send me a message here at the show. But this isn't the woke thing. There's something else here. and And part of it is, on the Biden administration, but part of it is actually decades old. The NOTAM system is very old. It was first, uh, I think was first put in place several decades ago and hasn't really undergone much of a change. Uh, now, the system is necessary. It It's a notification system. It sends a text-based message to aircraft to let them know if there's any sort of condition, any sort of of occurrence going on along the travel route to let pilots know to avoid that area. According to the FAA, they changed NOTAM to be more inclusive of all aviators and missions, which is why they changed it to notice to air missions. Part of that wasn't so much the woke thing, although that had something to do with it, but also because NOTAM also apparently sends out messages to drones, which are unmanned missions or unpersoned missions, I guess, if we want to be uh, politically correct about it. But the NOTAM messages are released for many different things. They're used to deliver information about departure and arrival points, is a runway closed, that sort of thing. Is there a condition in the air Uh, If a pilot is going through turbulence, the pilot sends out that message through the NOTAM system to let other planes that might be flying through that area along that route 
to let them know that this area is experiencing turbulence. So it's a it's a text-based messaging system that goes between all aircrafts and all the airports. Well, it malfunctioned. Can you fly without NOTAMs? Absolutely. But what if you come across some serious problem and you don't have the notification and you end up with a Die Hard 2 moment without the terrorism? So that shut everything down, but NOTAM is an old system and... There has been a push in the past to try to update this system, but the problem, as is always the case with government systems, is bureaucracy. The bureaucratic holdup to this change has kept it from being, has, has, has let it go on as is to the point where it's very old and is prone to major mistakes like you see today. And nobody is really allowed to go and work on or update this system because it has to go through layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of bureaucracy. The same thing actually is the case with our banking systems, with our financial institutions. Our banks run on a set of code, the coding language COBOL, C-O-B-O-L. COBOL is very, very old as well. It still runs pretty effectively but it's still a decades-old computer language, and there's been really no attempt at innovation there because it's worked. That's kind of why bureaucracies are not really wanting to mess with NOTAM. Well, it's worked so far, except it's starting to show its age, apparently, and that's one thing that happened today. The other problem here, and this is the more partisan point, is that Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is once again facing a crisis and once again seems to have very little idea as to what's going on. There have been multiple crises since Buttigieg took over as the Secretary of Transportation under Joe Biden. Uh, congestion at the ports. Supply chain issues, empty shelves, trucker shortages, all the flight issues over the summer, shortage of pilots, a narrowly averted freight rail strike, the Southwest debacle, now this, the NOTAM system. He's been faced with crisis after crisis after crisis, and the best he's been able to do is write sternly worded letters to the companies or agencies involved here. And it's gotten to the point where even progressives that liked Pete Buttigieg are starting to say, well, he's a he's a former mayor of, of South Bend, Indiana. He really isn't qualified for this job. We don't know why he's there. And all these crises keep happening, and it's just making him look more and more incompetent. This whole time he's been in office, I mean, remember, we had the, the, uh, the congestion at the ports that was not getting solved at all. It was causing a lot of supply chain issues. Pete Buttigieg had disappeared. Nobody knew where he was, and he came back several weeks later and was like, hey, I was on paternity leave. And nobody thought to tell anyone, and no reporter actually asked, where's Pete Buttigieg? Because he's in a role he's not really prepared for. He doesn't have the experience to run, and it's showing right now because we have crisis after crisis, and nothing seems to be getting done. 
So there are bureaucratic nightmares at play here, like the age of the system that's being used, and you have the, frankly, partisan nightmares of having somebody in the role, somebody that you respected because they ran a good campaign against you and you make them part of your staff because you want to build up his resume for a future political run. And the whole time he's in office, it's nothing but failure after failure after failure. Failure, kind of like Kamala Harris, actually. But our federal bureaucracy, I mean, as, as much of a problem as Pete Buttigieg is just being inexperienced in this role, the bigger problem here is that we have aging digital infrastructure in the United States. And there's a lot of innovation that just simply doesn't happen because of the layers upon layers upon layers of bureaucracy that prevent innovation. I've heard from some folks, I've heard from some pilots today, and they're very frustrated with this. There have been a lot of issues going on in aviation. There's been a lot of issues in a lot of different transportation areas, and none of them seem to be getting fixed. And at some point, the bureaucracy has to recognize there's a problem. Maybe the FAA will step aside now and let the process happen and let systems get updated. The problem is the FAA is so scared of technology, they say and do really dumb things. Like, was it was it this past summer or, or sometime in the last year where the FAA said, no, no, you can't switch to 5G. It'll make all of our planes fall out of the sky. And every tech, uh, every technological expert was like, what in the hell are you talking about? They did studies, uh, technology groups, cybersecurity groups, uh, aviation groups. They all did studies. None of what the FAA said would happen would actually happen. I mean, we've had the stupid rule about no air, no phones on airplanes for years until the FAA finally said, OK, maybe it's all right. And then they freaked out about 5G and said, no, that'll, that, that's going to disrupt our communication system. It was the same old argument just for 5G instead of 4G or 3G or whatever. The FAA has been so reluctant to technological change that they are stuck in an era that doesn't exist anymore. And they're using a computer system that has not been allowed to upgrade, is very inefficient. And as a result, there was a major shutdown of flights all over the country. Causing untold damage to... I mean, there's economic damage there. Obviously, a lot of people who will who missed flights, who have to get flights rescheduled, it will cost the airlines money. It will cost those people money. It will cost a lot of people a lot of money in a time when a lot of people don't really have all that much money that they can afford to shell out for a change in plans. And yes, the, the airlines will do the best they can to reimburse and, 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 and shuffle tickets around and everything. But a lot of people will incur other costs because of this, changes in reservations to where they were going, things like that. There will be other costs involved. Because we have a federal bureaucracy that's in place that refuses to allow change through. And all bureaucracy at some level refuses change. Because change means work, and a lot of bureaucracies don't like to work. All they like to do is write these little rules that say you can't do this to add to the pile of things that you can't do under their rules. So that's that's the FAA situation in a nutshell today. They still don't actually know what went wrong. All they know is that it's the system that was that failed, but the system is old and is in desperate need of upgrading. 
And nobody seems, you know, really ready to do anything about that. All right, 232-1542, send a message to the KPL app chat if you want. When we come back, we've got more of the news of the day to go through right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Uh, this came in just about a little under an hour ago. We want to mention this. Uh, Biden aides have found a second batch of classified documents at a new location. The new location is not being named. And again, like the last batch, the classification level is not being uh, revealed. This is from NBC News. Aides to President Joe Biden have discovered at least one additional batch of classified documents in a location separate from the Washington office he used after leaving the Obama administration, according to a person familiar with the matter. Since November, after the discovery of documents with classified markings in his former office, Biden aides have been searching for any additional classified materials that might be in other locations he used, said the source, who spoke on condition of anonymity to provide details about the ongoing inquiry. The classification level, number, and precise location of the additional documents was not immediately clear. It was also not immediately clear when the additional documents were discovered and if the search for any other classified materials Biden may have from the Obama administration is complete. So again, uh, this came out uh, Monday night into Tuesday that Joe Biden had uh, documents at an office he worked at, the, the, Penn, uh, the Penn Biden Center. Uh, so part of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, the Penn Biden Center, there was apparently a locked cabinet or something there that had these documents in it. Biden took them over there uh, when he worked there. Well, there's a, there's a bit of an issue because Biden didn't start working there until well after he was out of the White House as vice president. So he had those documents with him uh, somewhere else. And uh, the lawyers, Biden's lawyers, in going to clean out that office, found those documents, immediately called the National Archives, sent them over. The National Archives recommended it to the DOJ. The DOJ has put it uh, has put it under a U.S. Attorney General, uh, a U.S. Attorney's office in out of Chicago, I think, uh, for investigation. Um, now, of course, there are again calls. Uh, there are calls from uh, Republicans and Trump allies saying, why isn't this getting, you know, the same uh, level of intensity and scrutiny that, that, you know, with the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago and things like that. And I kind of explained that a bit yesterday. Uh, it appears as of right now, because we don't know much else, it appears that Biden may have, when they packed up his office, may have taken them accidentally what we know based on admissions from Trump and his lawyers is basically that Trump declassified these so that he could take them to Mar-a-Lago. That's the difference between the two. And the other difference between the two is that Biden's lawyers immediately turned it over. And the Trump lawyers were arguing with the National Archives over what Trump did or didn't have. The Trump's lawyers did turn over what they had originally. National Archives said there were more. Trump's lawyers said no. Back and forth. Negotiations broke down. That's when the DOJ went in. Um. The the thing, like I noted yesterday, and this is this is the the big issue that I have is that the Biden documents were discovered two months ago. They were discovered days before the midterm election, and the Biden White House suppressed it. 
the DOJ suppress it. There were no leaks from that. But the DOJ made sure to let us know from the hilltops about the, you know, what the Biden, what the Trump raid at Mar-a-Lago was about, what they were looking for, what they might have been looking for. And again, with all the leaks and speculation that came out from the DOJ, a lot of which turned out to be wrong. There was very clearly a partisan lean in that particular investigation, and you don't see the same release of detail from the Biden documents. And again, I don't want a release of detail from the Biden documents. I want the same standard to be applied to both sides, though. And we're just not seeing that, which is why the Republicans really want to investigate the FBI and the Department of Justice for their partisan actions. All right, let's take a break, get to our bottom of the hour news. We will be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Well, I regret to I regret to inform all of you, I may not be here next week. I've been informed that we have bought the Mega Millions tickets, and I feel good about it this time. $1.3 billion. I mean, you take the lump sum, it's a little under half, right? It's about 40 to 50% you get lump sum. Uh, so let's see, 1.3 divided a little under half, be about 600 million. I guess I'd take that, you know, I'd, I'd hate to settle, but I guess I could, I could deal with that. Um, and knowing my luck, I'll win $2, which will be enough to, I think, buy one more line of numbers for the next week. But, uh, man, it is crazy. I, I it is. So I, the, the left talks about people who have too much money and all that billionaires and, and millionaires and all this. Uh, people who are rich, who don't pay enough in taxes, whatever. Y'all, I can't fathom that much money. I, I cannot imagine. First of all, I, I cannot just imagine looking at my bank account and seeing a, a number anywhere close to that. Uh, but I also just, I, I can't imagine what I would do even with $600 million. There's a little bit I want to do. You know, I want to, there, there's some charitable things I want to do and all that, but that doesn't get anywhere close to it. Maybe one thing I've always talked about, and so bit of family history. My dad is a certified financial planner, and so every time we get to these big numbers, and I buy some Mega Millions tickets or whatever, I, and if we lose, I inevitably text him, "Sorry, I don't have a massive check to hand you to invest." And and we both get a chuckle out of it because I think I would be his biggest account at that point. Uh, and right now, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the smallest accounts he has. But every time. Uh, you know, he and I have this talk, what would you do with the money? And he, he and I've had this conversation back and forth and, and I really do think probably some sort of educational foundation. And that kind of goes back to my time, you know, working in the school system, kind of seeing the needs of a lot of our students. Now, granted, I worked at, at STEM. I worked at David Thibodeau STEM Magnet Academy. Uh, so by no means do I, did I see, you know, as bad as it can get in terms of socioeconomic status, although I did see some things with children, with with students that I taught and worked with, I did see some of how bad it can get. But I know there are places that are dramatically underserved and could really use some help like that. So one of the things I know I would do if I ever won would be to start up some kind of charitable educational foundation that would go to that. And... My my whole goal is to make sure that I you know I want the education system to succeed. I think Lafayette Parish really does have one of the best education systems in the state, and we do so because we allow innovation, we allow school choice, we allow a lot of things that others simply don't do. Uh, a lot of still cling to older ways. 
Now, speaking of schools, there is a story that came out yesterday, late yesterday, early today. And I wrote about it at Red State. It's also up at Substack, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. And it's an infuriating one. It's one of the reasons I tend to care so much about education because the absolute worst days of education uh, just infuriate. And, And I want to point this story out because we need to know what's being done here locally as opposed to what happened on May 24th, 2022. When a lunatic went into Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas and massacred kids and teachers. CNN got exclusive access to the video statement from former Uvalde School Police Chief Pete Arredondo. It was a video statement he gave to the Texas Department of Public Safety as they were investigating what happened, the failures of that day, everything like that. This is the quote, and this is what what you need to pay attention to. It is, it, it, it will cause rage if you understand what he's saying and how what he's saying resulted in, 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 in the deaths that day. Once I realized that was going on, my first thought is that we need to vacate. We have him contained, and I know this is horrible, and I know it's what our training tells us to do, but we have him contained. There's probably going to be some deceased in there, but we don't need any more from out here. Police Chief Pete Arredondo said is what they're trained to do. That, that's that's incorrect because we know what the training that they went through, that he went through three times, actually tells police officers. First responders to the active shooter scene will usually be required to place themselves in harm's way and display uncommon acts of courage to save the innocent. The specific course that Arredondo took instructs that officers need to isolate, distract, and neutralize. Not contain, isolate. Because he was in a room, two connected classrooms, two sets of kids, multiple teachers. And he was left in there. His decision, this is CNN's writing, his decision to treat the gunman as a barricaded subject and not confront him effectively left all students and teachers in classrooms 111 and 112 for dead. It was one of many times he did not follow the training and protocols for an active shooter. He stuck with that choice for over an hour, even when he thought he heard the gunman reloading, and after it was confirmed, children were trapped, injured and alive as well as dead with the shooter. This school year, Lafayette Parish, unfortunately, has been plagued, as many parishes around the area have been, been plagued with threats from, from, you know, I'm sure pranksters. No serious threat has ever really been, I think, found. Clearly, a lot of them were just pranks, kids going too far. But each and every time, local law enforcement and the school system responded as if it was a very serious threat, locked down, evacuated the school if need be, uh, but made sure 
everyone was out of harm's way while they swept the school and looked for anyone who could have been dangerous each and every single time. And I've actually seen some comments on the stories that we've written here at KPEL about and some of the commentary we've had about is like, but you're giving it so much attention. The kids want to keep doing it. But when we stop paying attention to it is when something bad will happen. Which is why you have to take every one of these instances seriously. And that's what we do here locally. And that's what this guy did not do. He knew it was serious, but he did not follow the right protocol. Each and every time our local law enforcement, our school board, our schools have followed the proper protocol. And if there had been a serious instance, it would have been neutralized because the proper protocol was being followed. I know this because I've talked to people who work in these situations. Remember, I was in a school. I was in public school. I've talked to resource officers. I know the protocols that they go through. I know, based on talking to people higher up, what the process and procedure is, and just why you cannot not take these seriously. If you follow the protocol correctly, nothing, I can't say nothing bad will happen. Anything bad that does happen can be shut down, mitigated as quickly as possible. But when you choose to not follow your training, when you choose to say the guy is contained and then you end up finding out that he's in a room with kids, with teachers, injured, alive, and dead, you're not following your training, it leads to a major catastrophe. And this is absolutely infuriating. It is equal parts cowardly because you are not living up to your oath to protect and serve. And it is ignorant for him to say in the interview, it sounds like he is saying that his training teaches him to do what he did. And that is wrong. He did not pay attention to his training, apparently. He didn't know what his training actually told him to do, and he didn't want to get any of his officers in harm's way. Because of that inaction, because of that cowardice, because of that ignorance, innocent children died. Way more than should have. None should have. Don't get me wrong. None of them should have died. And there were very clear signs of that shooter was dangerous and was a threat, and that was ignored. That is a system that still needs work. But the actual mitigation of any more casualties at the scene was an absolute failure because the leader of the school police chief ignored his training, did not do what he was supposed to do, and tried to explain it away several times and even at certain points lied about it. God forbid it ever happens here. But based on the response we've seen, based on the conversations I've had, based on what I know about our law enforcement and the people who run it, you're not going to see the same thing happen here. And if it did, I would join the rest of you on the mountaintop shouting down, calling for the heads of whoever let that kind of failure happen because it is atrocious and infuriating that it happened that way. And we can, you know, save for another day the argument about 
you know, guns and school shootings and anything like that. That's not what this is about. This is about the people who were in charge, who were supposed to protect and serve, who failed to do their job because of ignorance and cowardice. And thank goodness that this guy is no longer in charge. Because my God. All right, let's take our final break of the day. When we come back, we have uh, a couple more things to discuss. I want to talk about the economic situation in the country real quick. There are some stats and some data you need to know because the federal government is still expecting a recession and something bad coming our way. That and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. All right. I wanted to mention this before I get out of here today because it is uh, it is pretty important. The economy on paper looks like it's improving. The last jobs report looked pretty good. Uh, the non-farm payroll was up 223,000. Analysts were expecting 203,000. So there were good signs there. However, there are multiple economists out there saying the underlying data, though, is actually more problematic and more indicative of stagflation. And it's why Jerome Powell uh, spoke to Sweden's central bank yesterday and said the following. Price stability is the bedrock of a healthy economy and provides the public with immeasurable benefits over time. But restoring price stability when inflation is high can require measures that are not popular in the short term as we raise interest rates to slow the economy. The absence of direct political control over our decisions allows us to take these necessary measures without considering short-term political factors. Restoring the price stability when inflation is high can require measures that are not popular in the short term. The absence of direct political control over our decisions, again, allows us to take the necessary measures without considering short-term political factors. You need to know that that's what he's saying is that you can expect more interest rate hikes. Here's the underlying jobs data that has economists worried. Brian Westbury, who is an economist, says the total number of hours worked in the private sector ticked down 0.1% in December, the second consecutive monthly decline. Even though payrolls were up, total hours worked data show less work was done. Putting it all together is the equivalent of losing 125,000 jobs in December, not gaining jobs. The amount of hours worked in December... is the equivalent of us having lost 125,000 jobs. That's what he's saying. So even though we gained 223, the amount of hours worked actually shows less production. That's not a good thing. Continuing with what he wrote, fewer temporary workers and fewer hours worked suggest some weakness in the job market. What this means is that businesses are still hiring, but their workers have less to do. What analysts, commentators, and the market should have spent more time chewing over was the ISM services report. 
which screams stagflation. The overall index came in at 49.6%, well below consensus expectations, and the first reading in in contraction territory since the onset of COVID. In fact, excluding the very early COVID, it was the first sub-50 reading since 2009. Meanwhile, although the prices paid index declined to 67.6 versus 70 in November, that's still higher than ever between mid-2011 and early 2021. This week's CPI report should show tame overall inflation for December itself, but that'll largely be due to falling energy prices. The ISM report suggests inflation isn't going back to the Fed's 2.0 target anytime soon. On top of that, what else you need to know? Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, who is a highly influential policy, who is highly influential at policymaking levels of government bureaucracy and the private sector, says the Federal Reserve should go as high as six percent in interest rates hikes. They should go to five percent, wait and see what it does, but go it, but probably go as high as six percent later. The last sign that you need to know of is the fact that Janet Yellen was long rumored to be the first one to leave the cabinet. Instead, she is sticking around for the remainder of Joe Biden's term, and the White House wants her there. The progressives thought they would like her, but they actually really don't because she's not as progressive in fiscal policy as they would like. But the Biden administrator wants Biden administration wants her to stick around because she offers more stability than them finding perhaps someone who is more progressive in fiscal policy. That's a big sign that they expect things to get worse and they need stability at all levels in order to make sure that the situation doesn't deteriorate further. As a friend of mine put it, something wicked this way comes. But until then, you've got 23 hours for me to return here on the Joe Cunningham Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and Substack, JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com. I'm going to take this break. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5. KPL, you guys have a great day.